Um, so I've been asked to speak on people of conviction this morning, which is if you look at our mission statements as a church, one of the things we say about ourselves, you know, we want to be a people rooted in Christ Jesus, a people of conviction. So I want to think a bit about what, what conviction actually means. And I want to uh, pick up where Dave left off last week. We're looking at Acts. So if you've got your Bible, I'm just going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to be reading from the message. So it's only a few verses, just uh, the, first, the first eight verses. So you, don't, you can just listen if you want. So it says, Stephen's death set off a terrific persecution of the church in Jerusalem. The believers were all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. All that is but the apostles. Good and brave men buried Stephen, giving him a solemn funeral. Not many dry eyes that day. And Saul just went wild, devastating the church, entering house after house after house, dragging men and women off to jail. Forced to leave home base, the Christians all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message of the Messiah. When the people heard what he had to say, sorry, going down to a Samaritan city, Philip proclaimed the message of the Messiah. When the people heard what he had to say and saw the miracles, the clear signs of God's action, they hung on his every word. Many who could neither stand nor walk were healed that day. The evil spirits protested loudly as they were sent on their way. And what joy in the city. So, Acts 8 is a real turning point in the book of Acts. Um, up to this point, it's all, all the, the story of Jesus has started off in Galilee and it's moved to Jerusalem. It's generally been in, in Jerusalem. And then Acts 8 is the turning point when actually the message of Jesus starts to go beyond Jerusalem. So um, you've gone from the, you know, the disciples have gone from you know, the highs probably of coming into Jerusalem, you know, people you know, cheering Jesus, to the low of being, him being crucified, to the high of him being resurrected, to the the low of realizing that he's going back to heaven, to the high of Pentecost and people being saved and added to the church, to the low of you know, Stephen, Stephen being killed, um, as we heard about last week. And now we're here in Acts 8. And Acts 8 is a turning point because from this, this point on, it starts to become the, the church as um, we see it today. And what amazes me is how, um, you know, when you read through Acts, you think where they are at the moment, about, you know, AD 30 or so. So by the time it gets to, you know, the end of that first century, you know, the church and the message of Jesus has gone from where it is in Jerusalem, and it's gone right around the Mediterranean. It's gone down into Africa. You know, you read, it, go, read on in Acts 8 here, and it talks about Philip. First of all, he goes up to Samaria, and then after that, he goes to meet with an Ethiopian who takes the gospel down to, um, to Africa. And most of us got maps in the back of our Bible, and you can probably see the crisscross trails as the apostles, Peter, Paul, and the others, yeah, they go around the Mediterranean, they go to you know, what is modern-day Syria, then to modern-day Turkey, then to modern-day Greece, and finally you know, to modern-day Italy in the heart of the Roman Empire itself, Rome. Um, and that happens against the odds. You know, here is a bunch of, in the world's terms, uneducated people with no influence. Most of them come from this um, you know, backwater, called Galilee in this remote Roman province called Judea, and yet 70 years on, the world has changed because of these guys. You know, you just, you know, you, it defies all human explanation. And, uh, you know, I was asking the question, you know, thinking about it, what, what is it that drove these people forward? What is it that 
you know, was able to make that difference in short, such a short space of time? And the answer is that they were people of conviction. So this morning, I just want to spend a bit of time thinking about, you know, what, is that, what, is that actually, um, what does that actually mean? So if I asked you to define conviction, I'm not sure what you'd say. Um, but for me, I've spent some time thinking about it. And I think conviction, it's a deep-rooted belief. It's a deep-rooted belief in a cause. It's a deep-rooted belief in a cause that you believe the world needs to hear about. And it's possibly a deep-rooted belief in a cause that you, need the world, you think the world needs to hear about and that you believe will prevail in the end. But it's not just about a belief. It's also about um, action. So there's no use having belief if you're not prepared to put it into effect. So for me, conviction is not just about a deeply held belief about something that will change the world, but it also implies a willingness to act on that, to expend yourself fully, to give yourself to the cause of getting that message out there. So if I asked you today to say, you know, give me some examples of people of conviction. You know, I guess the names we'd come up with, you know, you'd probably think um, Martin Luther King, you know, had a cause he believed in, was willing, you know, willing to die for. Nelson Mandela, cause he believed in, was willing to be in prison for decades for. You talk about Gandhi, you, know, you talk possibly about you know, Mother Teresa, all people who believed in something so deeply that they dedicated their lives to it. And for me, when I read the book of Acts, um, what you've got is you see that conviction coming through every page in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you've got a set of people who so believed the message of Jesus was a message that the world needed to hear. They believed they had a truth that no matter what, it was their duty to get it out there. And they gave themselves to that fully. So it wasn't just um, an optional extra in their lives. It wasn't uh, a message that they would get out when they had the opportunity, if they had the opportunity. It was something they focused on. It drove their lives, not just influenced their lives. And, you know, the challenge for me when I look at that is like, okay, God, you know, you've given us your message. So is that driving my life or actually is it influencing my life? You know, when you look at the intensity with which um, the apostles were taking the message out there, they believed they had to get it to the world. And they were willing to do everything, and it drove, it dominated their behavior. And, yeah, God wants people of conviction today. You know, if you read Revelation 3, you know, the church of Laodicea, God says, don't be lukewarm. you either got to be hot, or you've got to be cold. You know, God wants people of conviction, because when you read Acts, you can see people of conviction, absolutely, they change the world. I learned some um, I've been in Germany most of this week, and I learned, I learned a new fact. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's to do with chilies, and it's called the Scoville scale. Okay? So I was, uh, I was out, out for, for lunch with, uh, with a colleague, and we went to a restaurant around the corner from the office. And you know, he's, he's well known for being into his spicy food. And uh, so chili was the dish of the day, so we had chili, and it got into conversation about chili. And it turns out there is a something called the Scoville scale which measures the strength of chilies. So what it turns out you do is you strip away the water content from chilies, because different chilies have different water content, and then you measure how much water do you need to add to that chili seed to neutralize the heat of the chili. So to put it in context, um, the chilies we buy in Tesco 
are probably about 1,000 Scovilles. Um, there is a chili called the Naga Viper, which is over a million Scovilles. <laughs> and this guy, <laughs> this guy I was eating with had, got, had eaten to about 500,000 on the Scoville scale. You know, I, I don't think I'd get above like 5,000, but um, he'd got to 500,000 in terms of the chilies he had tasted. And apparently, as he was telling me, there's now one called the Malaga Scorpion, which is 1.5 million Scovilles. Never want to go near that. Um, but the point is, you can look at chilies, and there's an intensity to the heat, isn't there? And uh, you know, so it turns out it's worth measuring that intensity scientifically. But actually, as Christians as well, you know, the, the, the parallel for that for me is you know, when you look at these guys in the, act, in the Acts of the Apostles, you know, they are up. They are like that Naga Viper chili. You know, they are out there in terms of their intensity, in their belief that the gospel needs to get out there to the world. Whereas to me, well, actually, I'm more like the Tesco chili. And God's saying to us, look, I want you guys, you know, you are my weapon to change the world here. But actually, you know, you, we need to be convicted of, um, you know, we need to be like the Naga Viper, not like the Tesco chili in terms of how we, how we go about it. But, and there is a but, <clears throat> you know, we can look at Acts and we can say that conviction changes the world. Conviction changed the face of the Roman Empire. But it came at a cost. And if we say here as a church, you know, we want to be people of conviction, we might as well know now there is going to be a cost to conviction. Conviction doesn't come cheap. So, you know, you look at, um, you know, you, you, you look at uh, what happens in Acts, and almost every single page there's the same pattern, you know, as you read it through. They go to a town, they start sharing the message. People get saved. They offend people. They get beaten. They get thrown in prison. They have to run from the city to save their, save their lives. They dust themselves off. They go to the next city. The cycle repeats itself. We say as a church we want to be a people of conviction, and conviction will change the world. But it's guaranteed as well that conviction comes at a cost. You know, conviction doesn't come, doesn't come cheap. And you, know, you read through the Bible, and God says to us, look, if you want to be at the Naga Viper end of conviction for me, you've got to be prepared to sacrifice. You know, you've got to be prepared to, there's the physical persecution you read about in Acts, but there's the surrendering your dreams as well. You know, laying it down and saying, God, you're bigger than whatever my hopes and ambitions are. Whatever, however worthy they may be, you know, God says, I've got to come first. And you can read that through the Bible. You know, stories of you know, God saying to Moses, choose which side you're going to be on, Moses. Or God saying to Abraham, you know, Isaac, the apple of your eye, you've got to be prepared to sacrifice him for me. I was, um, I was reading a book over the summer uh, which Ian Campbell recommended, called The Insanity of God. And it's a story of, uh, of, of the church, um, the persecuted church, basically. And it's a story of um, some, some people, American people who were missionaries in Somalia, ended up um, traveling behind the Iron Curtain, or churches that were what was the Iron Curtain, and uh, in, in China, and hearing stories from how those churches were persecuted. And, yeah, it's a very humbling book to read because, you know, if you're like me, you know that God's asked you to do things that you really struggle with. And then you read what these guys have 
you know, sacrifice, and it, you know, it makes you feel ashamed in terms of how hard, how hard it is to give things up. Um, but there's a moment in the book where the, the author, a guy called Nick Ripkin, is, is in Russia, and he's talking to a Russian pastor, and the, 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 the pastor is telling him some stories about, you know, uh, you know during the persecution, how, you know, how God was moving, what they had to put up with. And they're talking late into the night, and Nick Ripkin says to the, the Russian pastor, look, you know, why didn't you write these things down? And the Russian pastor takes him over to a window, and, and the sun's coming up because dawn's breaking, and he, he points out the window and says to Nick, Nick, how often have you shown your sons the dawn? And Nick looks at him and says, never. He says, why not? He said, because it happens every day. And the Russian pastor turns to him and says, well, look, that's why we don't write down the stories of persecution. It happens every day. It's a normal part of Christian life. So conviction changes the world. God wants people of conviction today. But actually, if we're serious about being people of conviction today, it's going to come at a cost, and we shouldn't kid ourselves. I think the other thing you can see looking through Acts as well is that um, being people of conviction you know, is not only uncomfortable, can be uncom- will be uncomfortable in terms of persecution, it will also push, push us out of our comfort zone spiritually. You, know, you can't put God in a box. If you look at how God works with, um, works through Acts, and he is constantly taking um, the apostles beyond their comfort zone. So he takes them, you know, first of all, they've got, you know, we're reading in Acts 8 there that Philip's got to go to Samaria. You know, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that, you know, Jews and Samaritans didn't get on, yet here, you know, here's God saying to Philip, go, you know, go to Samaria. Um, later on, they've got to go to the Gentiles. Later on, Peter's, you know, has the issue about, do I eat unclean food, unclean food? God is continually pushing them out of their comfort zones. Or, you know, Ananias and Sapphira. I'm not sure how I'd have felt, you know, kind of, you know, you're part of a church, and then God strikes down two, two people. That must be scary. And again, I think the point for us is that if we're going to be people of conviction, you know, not only is it going to bring, um, there's going to be a cost attached to it, but also God's going to take us outside our comfort zone. You know, somebody said a couple of years ago at a conference we were at, um, you know, we read Acts and we want all the, um, you know, we want the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we want the Holy Spirit on our terms, which usually means when we're in our comfort zone. And actually what we haven't kind of twigged as Christians is that the Holy Spirit comes when we're outside our comfort zones. You know, that's the consistent denominator in Acts when you read it through, that they're outside their comfort zone and that's when God moves. So, I guess, you know, talked about Conviction makes a difference. Conviction changes the world. God wants people of conviction today, and conviction comes at a cost. So then the, I guess the million-dollar question is, you know, how do we come? How do we become people of conviction? You know, what does it mean for us this week? And it's great uh, to be sort of sharing this morning when we're, we're having communion, because if you're like me when I was preparing for this morning, actually my first response is, I need to ask God for forgiveness. You know, because I'm back to that Scoville scale, you know, I'm at the Tesco end, not the Naga Viper end. And you know, communion's a great place to come here this morning and say, God, look, we're sorry. Actually, you know, how, how intensely do I believe that your message is a message for the world that the world's got to hear through me? And how often have I treated it as a 
are nice to have. I'll get it out there if I can. But there'd be no point this morning, um, I guess, beating ourselves up or sending ourselves on some kind of guilt trip saying, hey, you know, we've got to be more purposeful, we've got to be more intense. Because frankly, if you're like me, I'll try that, but by Wednesday, I'll be back to how I am today. You know, the only thing that will sustain us long-term, the only thing that will make us a people of conviction long-term as a body here at Cairns Road is to say to God, God, we need your heart of love. We need to get hold of your heart, God, for the people outside the church, you know, the people who don't know you yet, the people in West, Westbury Park. You know, Paul writes to the Corinthians, you know, the love of Christ compels me to go to all men. And, you know, I think if we are serious about being a people of conviction, we've got to be asking God, maybe communion is a really good place to be starting that this morning, to say, God, I want more of your heart of love for the people out there. There is no way, humanly, anybody could go through what the Acts, what the apostles did in Acts. No way. And I'm sure they had their low days as well. Like it says here, you know, there weren't many dry eyes in the house when they had to bury Stephen. But what kept them going was that they had that, um, you know, they had, they had a sense of God's heart for the lost. They had a sense of how God wanted to reach out and touch people. And if we're to be effective here for God, where he's put us, I want to suggest that actually we need to be in a new way saying, God, we want your heart for the lost. That's the only thing that can sustain us. Anything else, we'll just be putting ourselves under pressure and, and it, won't, it won't last long term. So, you know, as we're going through communion later on, I guess, you know, maybe two thoughts I want to put with you. One is, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, I, we need to be asking for forgiveness where we got it wrong in the past and not live with the um, conviction that God expects. You know, we've been lukewarm, not hot. But the second thing is, God's a God of the future. A new start is to be saying, God, actually, what I really want from you is a new sense of your heart of love, a new passion for the lost, a new passion, God, for people who don't know you. And I think if we prayed that prayer seriously every day for a week, I bet by the time we get to next Sunday, will be different. I was, um, I was doing some idle maths uh, at some point this week, thinking about this, and uh, I worked out that if you go back to Acts 8, there's probably about 10,000 Christians at that point in time, and the Roman Empire was about 30 million people at that time. So the ratio was one Christian to 3,000 non-Christians, yet 70 years later, they totally changed the face of the Roman Empire. We've just done a, you know, a, there's been a census, hasn't there, a couple of years ago, and the results are now becoming available. So if you look at the catchment area of Cairns Road, um, depending on where you want to draw the lines, but there are probably about 30,000 um, adults in our catchment area. So if there are 100 of us here this morning, that ratio is 1 to 300. So 1 to 3,000 in Acts 8, and they changed the world. One to 300 here. So, you know, the odds are off. We should be able to make an impact. But it's about giving ourselves up to God. You know, one naga bite of chili is worth a lot more than a million Tesco chilies, probably. And, you know, the invitation this morning, I think, for us, if we are serious about being a pe people of conviction, is to say to God, God, look, with conviction, we can change. You, know, you can work through us to change this neighborhood but we need your heart of love to do it. You know, we need your passion that drives us forwards.